legends, myths, conspiracy theories. They're all theories, yet they hold a vast amount of weight with us still today. Stories we were told around campfires as children or stories that you would tell at sleepovers to scare all the other girls or boys. They all come from somewhere. Is the island of the dolls a real place? Where did an entire squadron of planes disappear to? Who killed Marilyn Monroe? Was it really a suicide or something much bigger? What are the Georgia Guidestones? These are the things that we're going to be diving into together. Go ahead and subscribe so that whenever a new episode drops, you will get notified. And remember, it's all just a theory. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Sometimes this podcast contains themes of a sexual nature in relation to the crimes that we talk about. This podcast contains triggers such as violence and or abuse and sometimes contains adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, and welcome back to If I Go Missing. This week we're going to tell you about Theo Hayes, who went to Byron Bay and never came home. Byron Bay is one of the ultimate tourist destinations in Australia, with almost 2 million visitors descending upon this tiny town every year. Halfway up the east coast in Australia's state of New South Wales, Byron beckons travelers from all parts of the world. A nine-hour drive from Sydney and two hours from Brisbane, the town is accessible while still feeling oddly remote. With dozens of beautiful beaches, great surf and spiritual activities, it's easy to get sucked into Byron's laid-back vibe and lose touch with the outside world. With more backpackers than actual residents residing in Byron for much of the year, Byron Bay's culture is very unique. Paradoxically, it is both diverse and inclusive while also being unfriendly and intolerant to those who don't fit in a certain mold. Most Australians would describe the town as being pretentious. Theo Hayes is a Belgian national and he was living the dream. He was an avid traveler and he was also well versed in traveling around the many countries of Europe. Described by his family as a planner who liked to have everything planned and laid out for his travels, he was a little apprehensive about this trip to Australia. While he had traveled all over Europe, this was his first trip to a new continent. Theo had plans to attend college back home in Brussels. Taking this trip, though, would delay his engineering studies back home. He often wondered if the trip was worth it. Ultimately, he decided to take the trip and because he needed to go visit and see some various friends and family that had moved to Australia. Theo was said to have thoroughly enjoyed his trip. He spent a large portion of his time with his cousin Lisa Hayes. Lisa later provided good insight into what Theo's version of backpacking looked like. While many young travelers get caught up in drugs and partying, Theo was responsible. He wanted to form and continue make genuine connections with people, particularly those close to him, and enjoy experiences without drugs and heavy drinking. 
the 18-year-old Belgian national even maintained contact with his mom every couple of days despite traveling and having an amazing time, he still remembered to make time to speak with his mother. From all accounts, he was a good, responsible, organized young man who loved to go on adventures to new places. According to the podcast The Lighthouse that chronicles Theo's investigation in precise detail, in the very last episode, it opens up with Theo's father saying the last message he ever received from his son was from the moment he arrived in Byron Bay. The text was simple. Theo simply told his father that he had arrived in Byron Bay. Theo then went on to mention the beauty of the place as well as the kindness of the people. He ended the message by saying he was excited to be there and planned to go back to Melbourne to his godfather's house afterwards. What we are going to do is start off the story way back at the beginning, though. So let's go to Australia. Ooh, that would be nice. Amen there. Metaphorically speaking, going to close my eyes and pretend I'm there. Sounds good to me. It all began November of 2018 when 18-year-old Belgian backpacker Theo Hayes took off for Australia. Theo arrived in Australia on November 12, 2018. He was welcomed and hosted by his godfather, a man named JP, who lives in Victoria, about 200 kilometers west of Melbourne. Now, I did not actually do the conversion rates this time, so... (laughs) They're not that far away, people. I don't know exactly how far, but they're not that far. Theo spent the first part of his trip in the home with his godfather in Otways. From there, he had a short stay in Melbourne in mid-December 2018. He then returned back to his godfather's house in the Otways. By the time New Year's Eve rolls around, Theo makes his way to Sydney to meet up with his cousin Lisa. Together, they spend their time in Sydney together to bring in the New Year's. Then, both Lisa and Theo had the chance to get a job working at the Australian Open tennis tournaments. For them, it was the chance of a lifetime. Why not cross it off their bucket list? So, the pair decides to stay in Melbourne and take the job at the Australian Open. Theo stayed here in Melbourne until the end of January 2019, when he left to head to Shepparton, where he had a job working at a farm waiting on him. Theo stayed at the farm until about mid-February, then he finally returned to Melbourne. He stays here in Melbourne until the end of February, where he, along with another backpacker from Switzerland, take a trip to Tasmania. I was wondering where Tasmania was. Yeah, you know, I learned a lot of places researching this. Yeah. I think the needle say you see the devil spinning around. And like when people talk about Madagascar and other episodes and stuff, like all I see is the animals from the movie. Definitely. The lion's in charge. Uh, Sorry, folks. We don't get out much. (laughs) Side trick. Once back on the mainland, Thea met up with his cousin Lisa again, and they both started working on a farm to harvest apples and pears. Mm, I like those. Both of them. Sounds like a fun job. Yeah, yeah, probably ain't. Probably not, but yeah. it sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, I knew people who, um, growing up, they were always sort of the tobacco fields. That was horrid, awful. 
nasty. It was it was a bad job. I'm talking about fruit, and you're talking about tobacco. Yeah, there you go. But that's what it makes me think of because potato, I'm sure I mean, you still got to pick. Yeah. Then sometime in March of 2019, he traveled with other backpackers to Alice Springs in Central Australia. From here, he travels to Darwin. From Darwin, he travels to Litchfield. From Litchfield to Kakadu. And after all of these short trips, Theo moves north to a place called Carnes. And this is now around the end of March 2019. Wow. that's I mean, that's a lot for an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. he. I mean, if he's not responsible, he's going to get in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, so, so he's got to be responsible. Yeah, he's got to be a very responsible young man. Mm-hmm. By the time April rolls around, Theo was in Carnes still, and he was working for a family there until sometime around the middle of April. From Carnes, Theo then travels south, where he visits the Great Barrier Reef. For most of the month of May of 2019, Theo finishes his travels and heads down the east coast. He visits several places. One of them was a yacht called the Sunday. From there, he made his way to Agnes Water to do some surfing. After the surfing trip, he kept moving and ended up stopping at Fraser's Island. However, it was unclear what he spent his time here doing. After Fraser's Island, he left and continued on to Rainbow Beach and then to Noosa, where he did some more surfing. There's a video clip I'm about to play for you all now, and it's in the show notes if you want to see it. But in the clip, it looks like Theo has just arrived at an airport and is being picked up by his cousin Lisa. And you can actually hear their laughter and playful chatter. And if you understand the language, somebody please tell me what's going on. But it sounds very happy to me. Regardez qui j'ai retrouvé! Coucou! By May 25th, 2019, Theo was in Brisbane again. Here he visited his cousin Lisa and Michael Dorkum. While he was here, he had a dinner with Mike and Lisa and then stayed with them for one brief night before catching a bus the next morning. On May 26, 2019, Theo grabs a ticket and hops on a bus in Brisbane that will take him all the way to the Golden Coast. Then, just a few days later, on Wednesday, May 29, 2019, Theo boards another bus that takes him to Byron Bay. By 2.30 p.m. on this day, May 29th, Theo checks into his hostel. His hostel was called Wake Up. After checking into his hostel, Theo calls his father and tells him that he has reached his latest destination, and he also marveled to his father about the beauty of Byron Bay. Things were pretty quiet and uneventful until Friday, May 31st, 2019. In the early evening hours, Theo and a new friend who was also staying at the Wake Up caught the hotel shuttle bus into town so they could pick up some alcohol for a barbecue they were attending at their hostel that night. By 7.45 p.m., the pair caught an Uber to take them back to their hostel. The barbecue either didn't last too long or the guys didn't stay the full time because by 9.35 p.m., they had already arrived by foot to a local bar called Cheeky Monkey's. According to their own website, Cheeky Monkeys is an essential part of the Byron Bay backpacker experience. If you're traveling through Byron Bay, Cheeky Monkeys restaurant and bar is probably going to be a highlight of your time here, according to them. And it's just a place where you can let your hair down and meet some new friends. Again, this came from their website, not my wording. 
Somehow, between 9.35 p.m. when the pair arrived by foot to 11 p.m., they got separated at Cheeky Monkey's. It was also around 11 p.m. that Theo was asked to leave the bar for being wobbly on his feet. Mr. Responsible? Well, even at that, how do you go from sober enough to walk by foot to this place to wobbly on your feet can barely stand up kind of thing in like an hour and a half? Yeah. Nothing computes. Paul O'Brien, a spokesman for the club, said the decision to kick Theo out was the right one. People are asked to leave venues all the time. There was nothing unusual about that. Theo appeared to be a polite kid who was a bit wobbly on his feet. He had only purchased two drinks and was not aggressive, but yet he was still kicked out for being intoxicated. Two drinks? Yeah. Two drinks is going to make him wobbly on his feet? I mean... I mean, unless they're like really heavy-handed on the alcohol or I mean, two straight shots is not going to make anybody wobbly on their feet. Yeah. I mean, just two shots alone. I mean, not even drinks. Just take out all the other stuff they put in the drink to make it taste good. And just take the shot of liquor itself. Mm -hmm. That's not going to make you wobbly on your feet. No. And I mean, it's going to be worn off. Unless it's going to be worn off within like two hours. Yeah. So I listened to the podcast, The Lighthouse, and I've read up a bunch of different things. And I found out that while Theo was at Cheeky Monkeys, they were all dancing and having a good time. And there was a girl that was trying to dance with him. And he just, he really wasn't paying too much attention to her. He was just hanging out with his friends, not really looking into a girl like that. There was also another girl that he was with at the beginning when they were walking in that they had kind of talked to. But, I mean, just talk to. Nothing more, nothing less. But when you're going in a bar or club like that in Australia, apparently they take photos before you enter. This particular bar, when it gets busy, it does not always follow this protocol. So they have no photo of the girl from that night to know who she was or anything about her. Of course. So at Cheeky Monkeys, it's kind of... Kind of like one of the clubs we have here, but not quite as bad. Like 309 West, like the thing is a cheeky monkey's like you're supposed to dance on the tables. Where like if you do it here, it's like, wow, how much did you have? Mm-hmm. But like it's just like a thing to do it there. Right. Like guys and girls do it there. Mm-hmm. You know, like here we would, here guys would never do that. No. So it's just kind of a thing there. After dancing with everybody, apparently Theo goes to the bathroom and then gets kicked out. The bouncer gets close to his ear, grabs his arm, and says to leave. Okay. And he had only those two beers. Two beers? No, two beers are not going to do that. Two beers are not going to make you drunk. And I mean, you could go back to the fact that he had alcohol earlier at the barbecue, but he was still sober enough to walk there. Exactly. And, I mean, it was about a five-minute walk. I mapped it out on Google Maps. Mm-hmm. It was about a five-minute walk. Yeah. But, yeah, so he was kicked out for being wobbly on his feet. We probably wouldn't have to worry about you going to any bars in Australia because you're wobbly when you've had a Coke. <laughs> you are just wobbly. We say this as I'm sitting here with a broke ankle. <laughs> Hence the reason why she has a broke ankle. <laughs> 
wobbly on my feet. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just a klutz. Yep. Stairs yep. aren't my friend, people. No. But yeah, I might have to take Australia off my bucket list just to be safe. <laughs> so after kicking Theo out, they basically sealed his fate at end of life. So after kicking Theo out, they basically sealed his fate and the beginning of the end began. At 11.07 p.m., shortly after being kicked out, so about seven minutes afterwards, Theo is seen walking away from Cheeky Monkeys. At 11.08 p.m., he stops on Kingsley Street for a minute and enters the address of his hostel into Google Maps. He then continues walking for four minutes and 40 seconds at an average speed, just over about seven kilometers per hour. So maybe a fast-paced walk. Around 11.12 p.m., he is at the end of Tennyson Street near the edge of the bushland that surrounds the Byron Youth Activity Center, and he stops for a total of almost seven minutes. Here there are cricket nets and a concrete slab. Google data shows later on that Theo's phone was within about three meters of this spot when it was found, although it wouldn't be found until much later. Everything we have from here on out timeline-wise is from assumptions made using Google data pings. We assume from here that Theo's phone movements corresponded to Theo's movements and that he was not separated from his phone. He leaves the concrete slab behind and is at the end of Tennyson Street and he crosses on to the other side of the sports field, winding his way through the suburban streets of Massinger Street. According to the Google data, he walked this section at about six kilometers per hour and checked Google Maps a couple of times along the way. The map always had the way back to his hostel put in there, but he never went that way. It's definitely getting strange. From Massinger Street, Theo heads more towards the suburban streets until he reaches Milne Street where suburbia ends and there's a clearing looking out over Arkwall National Park to the ocean and to the lighthouse. From here, Theo does not take Milne Track, which leads straight to Tallow Beach, but he instead heads on a separate bush track heading north, going an average speed of more than 7.5 kilometers an hour, which is pretty much a jog, and this is through difficult terrain. Okay, like something's chasing him? Something's chasing him. Something spooked him. Something made him take off for a run. I don't think he just thought it was a good time to get some exercise. And if he was, quote, quote, wobbly, he wouldn't be able to run. He'd be tripping all over the place, and it, it wouldn't be a That's quick true. speed. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. The wobbly gets me here. Yeah. I mean, who kicks somebody off for being wobbly? Mm-hmm. Maybe I just have inner ear issues. <laughs> or I'm a klutz. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the boot. Theo was going fast through this national park in the pitch black. And then he stops, looks again at the itinerary to his hostel on Google Maps, and yet again heads in the opposite direction, heading right further into the bush. Okay. 
Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. By 11.48 p.m., about 48 minutes after he was kicked out of Cheeky Monkeys, Theo had reached Tallow Beach. It's here he exits the extensive Australian bushland through a tiny little path. Isn't the bushland, like, really rough terrain? Yeah. I mean, it's like a, to me, it looks like a jungle or a yeah. very thick forest. Okay, that's what I was kind of thinking. I mean, it's not like I'm a rural traveler, but I was thinking it was, um, the wobbly kiss still keeps coming back to my head. And this man's going through this really rough terrain and, I don't know. Okay, so what happens next? After he exits from that little tiny path, right next to where he exits is a campsite. He stops here to take a look at Google Maps again for the itinerary to his hostel. From here, Theo makes his way to Cozy Corner at the north end of Tallow Beach. According to Google, he was moving at an average pace of about 6 kilometers per hour, which is maybe a fast-paced walk because 7 was like a light jog. Okay. So he slowed down a little bit like he, he doesn't feel the danger anymore. Yeah, like maybe he shook off whatever was bugging yeah. him. Yeah. Just before midnight, Theo leaves the beach at Cozy Corner and goes into the bush towards a steep hill with thick bushland and lantana. Surrounded by a tangled mess of vines and shielded from the outside world, Theo stops for five and a half minutes. Okay, I guess he felt like he had like a little hut he was hiding in or something. Yeah, like. that's what exactly what it sounds like. It sounds like a hiding spot, mm -hmm. like he's trying to hide. Right. I mean, it's a thick bushland, tangled of vines, shielded from the outside world. Why else would you stop there for five and a half minutes? Yeah, that's a long, that's a long stop. Yeah. But then he takes less than two minutes to go back down to the beach. Okay. We have now reached the next day and are in the early morning hours of Saturday, June 1st of 2019. Hey everyone, I'm going to interrupt our show for like a quick second just because I really want to tell you guys about this other podcast that I've been super into listening to. And if you've been following us from the beginning, you're on a week to week basis. And, you know, we need our true crime in between. So, if you're a true crime junkie and you just need your fix, or if you're one of the OG true crime addicts, let me introduce you to my friends over at Sword and Scale. They are the OG of true crime addicts. You may think you are, but they truly are. They have been around since 2014 and have tons of episodes for you to binge listen to. They were one of the first original true crime podcasts out there. So if you're just a weirdo or love a good real life mystery, go over and listen to Sword and Scale, where the host and creator, Mike Baudet, expertly narrates each shocking episode to fully immerse listeners into a carefully crafted real life story that proves the worst monsters are real. According to Google, at this time, Theo was at Cozy Corner. At 12.20 a.m., he sends a friend a message about the band U2 via Messenger app on his phone. Three minutes later, at 12.23 a.m., Theo pulls out his phone 
and watches a few minutes of the start of a French comedy video called Burger Quiz on YouTube. Okay, he's out in unfamiliar territory. Alone. Alone, in the dark, and he's watching something on YouTube. Don't look at me, sister. My first thought would be, my phone's going to die, I need to take care of my battery. Yeah. At 12.55 a.m., Theo sends a message on WhatsApp to his stepsister back in Belgium. His message was sent in reply to something she had sent earlier. So, when he texts his stepsister Emma back, the message he sends her contains a kiss emoji and one word in French. Merci. Theo's WhatsApp account was registered as being in use for the last time at 12.56 a.m., one minute after he sent that message back to his stepsister Emma. The last signal we have from Theo's phone comes from a ping sent around 1.42 a.m. from somewhere near the vicinity of Cape Byron. Wait, that's it? It just dies out? Yeah. That's literally all we have until about two days later. On Monday, June 3rd, 2019, Theo was due to check out of his hostel and take a Greyhound bus to Sydney, but he never did. On Thursday, June 6th, 2019, Theo's mom sends a message to Lisa Hayes and JP concerned because Theo has not responded to her messages and has fallen silent online for six days. Lisa can't reach Theo on her phone either. So Lisa calls the Greyhound buses and finds out that he didn't take the trip to Sydney that he had booked earlier. So Lisa posts on a backpackers group missing information with photos of Theo. JP finds out Theo's last transactions were at Cheeky Monkeys at Byron Bay and that he paid for accommodation at Wake Up Hostel. Lisa then calls the hostel and finds out that he didn't check out Monday, June 3rd and that all of his belongings, including his passport, had been left at his hostel. At this point, his family and the hostel report him missing. Definitely so. And you said he only had two drinks at the bar. I just can't get past that. We know Theo and his friend bought some alcohol to take to the barbecue. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't have been intoxicated from that because they walked that long way to the bar from the from the wake up. Mm-hmm. How far apart are these two things? So we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's about a five minute walk, which is doable if you've been drinking, depending on how much. Okay. But if you're wobbly on your feet, you're probably going to exactly. trip in that five minute span. Yeah. Yeah. So when I arrive, I'm going to have some scrapes somewhere. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know how doable this walk is with the way that they're saying Theo was acting, but for a normal person, it's not it's not like a thing that you just can't do. It's not like a thing that's too far to walk. Right. Hmm. I mean, unless maybe, do you, do you think maybe somebody spiked his drink or something? I mean, it happens a lot at clubs and bars. Eh, he may not be too far off on this point. I found an article by the Daily Mail that spoke with the local who had led an unofficial search party for Theo, and this local believes the teenager's drink may have been spiked on the night he disappeared. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with that, because you you go from walking this little five-minute five walk to wobbly? that That's pretty quick. What did this person say? 
the lady that said this is actually a lady named Nolene Smith, and she's lived in the area since 1976. She says the bar Cheeky Monkeys has a bad reputation for drink spiking in years past, and it led her to think that the same fate could have befallen Theo. Yeah, this is not good. She's even quoted as saying, I know the area quite well. The fact that it was Cheeky Monkeys concerned me because that place is very well known for people having their drinks spiked and not very nice things happening. And this is the bar itself spiking yeah. the drinks? I don't know if it's the bar or if it's people that hang out at the bar. Gotcha. Okay. It's never really said one way or the other. Gotcha. I mean, it could be people that know to frequent those bars because of tourists or Yeah, whatever. and Cheeky Monkeys is like a backpacker place. Right. So... I mean, it's kind of like a big red flag for people that don't belong there. Right. And you can tell by someone's accent if they're from the area or not by talking to them. Totally. So, you know, you know, okay, you're a long way from home, aren't you? Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, it could very well be somebody that just frequents that bar. Or it could be the bar itself. I don't really know. I think if it's the bar itself, it would happen a lot more often. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know, Theo, but just things about him and things that we've learned kind of sounds like he was a responsible young man that's what all of his friends and family say i mean well he's he's got a lot of organization going on here in his life you know i mean responsibility stuff going on here and most of the time he was in australia he wasn't partying and sightseeing he was sightseeing and working right right he was there on a working visa yeah i don't know something just Something's not stacking up. Yeah. Well, it's a curious aspect. It still didn't bring us any closer to any more answers, though. And by Saturday, June 8th, a local volunteer search effort begins in Byron. This is organized by Theo's cousins, Lisa and Michael, via Facebook. Also on June 8th, Westpac Lifesaver Rescue Helicopters conduct a coastal search for Theo. Then, on Sunday, June 9th, Police conduct a major land, sea, and air search in the Byron Bay area with the assistance of rescue officers. The State Emergency Service, a Westpac Lifesaver helicopter, and Lifesavers. Michael, Lisa, and JP check Main Street towards the hostel to identify all the CCTVs that have a view of the street. On June 10th, Locals and other backpackers joined in the search for Theo. So you have the SES, and they're searching in Arkwall National Park, and the SES is what we just talked about. It's um, The SES is State Emergency Service, and you know they search from Arkwall National Park, from Tallow Beach car parking, along Main Sand Track, and Milne Track to the beach. On the next day, June 11th, SES crews, the dog squad, lifeguards, local volunteers, and police continue to search the Byron Bay headlands, east and north of the town as well, as the beaches and swamps. By June 13th, Theo's father finally was able to arrive in Byron Bay to aid in the efforts to find his son. On June 17th, Theo's father makes an emotional plea asking Australia to keep looking for his son, Police confess they're baffled by this case, and they're keeping all lines of inquiry open. And then, on top of this, homicide detectives from Sydney join in on the search. 
And right now, I will put in that clip from Theo's father. Beware, it is very, very heart-wrenching. I promise, Theo's little brother, Lucas, that I would bring his brother home. Please, help me keep my promise to him. By June 20th, police divers joined the search, launching from the pass and focusing their efforts around the Cape Byron headland. Detectives used drones and police dogs with volunteers scouring nearby bushland. Brunswick Value Rescue Squad joined efforts in Byron Bay as the search continues. On June 24th, Theo's mother joins his father in Australia. It's also on this day that the family receives demand for ransom via messenger. There will be several of these during the following months and time period. Several messages of this type will make their way to the family, though none of them would turn out to be the real deal. That's so sad. I mean, it's just, that's just putting salt in an open wound. That's terrible. That's just scum of the earth. Like, how it low is. can you get? It is. That's awful. That, yeah, that's just, mm, as a parent, that just, oh, it lights my fire. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Is that, it's like, I want to find them and kick their butt for that parent. Yeah, definitely. That's horrible. I mean, this is just, that is just like cruel. It's sick that people want to take advantage of vulnerable people. Like yeah. That. You're hurting, you're begging for anything. So that's horrible. So Theo's family finally decides to begin a Facebook page dedicated to searching for him. And then on June 30th, Belgian police, Philip, Piard, who is one of the missing persons unit investigators, along with two other investigators from the Hal Vilvorde Federal Judicial Police, arrive in Australia for 10 days to help the Australian police. By July 2nd, the search had moved closer to Cape Byron, where its lighthouse stands. Dozens of people, including state emergency service volunteers and members of the public on Tuesday, returned to the area around Cape Byron Lighthouse where the last ping from Theo's phone was recorded on June 1st. Specialist police forces again focus on the lighthouse and Tallow Beach. These were areas we know he went that night. Then, just the very next day, Wednesday, July 3rd, New South Wales police announced the full-scale search for Theo has been called off. But investigations are still ongoing. Also on July 3rd, a briefing was going on at Byron Bay Police with investigators, Belgian police, and the family members. It is understood from this meeting that the police believe the most likely scenario is that he accidentally fell off the cliffs from the Cape. Okay. Where was his phone found? I think his phone was found back from before he even went into right. the bushland. That's what I was thinking. I mean, no one really believes the police's claims that he just yeah, fell off a cliff uh -uh. on accident. I mean, it's something that would happen to me, but yeah. not Theo. Yeah, this is true. He seems to be more responsible than I. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, with official searches being shut down, Belgian police have to leave Australia and return home. Wow. So that, like, concluded nobody can keep looking for him? At the moment, it entirely seemed that way for sure, but just when everyone was told to go home, Sunday, July 7th, rolled around and the first piece of physical evidence was found. Volunteers continuing the search for Theo find a gray puma cap in the bushland near Tallow Beach. 
The cap has familiar wear and tear on the brim, and the position precisely matches one of Theo's last known GPS locations. He was also last seen wearing this hat, leaving the Cheeky Monkeys bar at 11 p.m. on May 31st. Police in Australia said uh, the hat had been sent out for forensic testing to see if it could be linked to the missing backpacker. Sadly for Theo's parents, their search would have to continue on remotely from Belgium as they had to return home. Friday, July 12, 2019 was when they left for Belgium. On July 22nd, the Australian police informs the family that at that stage, three out of four swabs returned from the lab with the hat didn't have any DNA. If the fourth also returned no result, they would carry out other tests. Meanwhile, Theo's family is certain that the hat is his, but DNA testing on the material was inconclusive. That's interesting. You would think the hat, a hat would have a strand of hair somewhere in it or, I don't know, something. Mm-hmm. And it's worn. That you know, it said some, something about the wear signs, like... The wear and tear on the brim? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just, I don't know. That's what led his family to know, you know, that's his. Yeah. This seems like there would be something. Another search for Theo picked up on Thursday, August 22nd. Two dogs from Sydney's search dogs, trained to detect human remains, scoured the rugged terrain around Cape Byron Lighthouse after being called in by the Byron Bay volunteers. Then... Sunday, September 1st, Theo's father found himself back in his own nightmare in paradise. Laurent Hayes flew back to the coastal town from Brussels to meet with police and continue the search for his 18-year-old son. Theo has now been missing for four months at this point. That's terrible. A family friend said Mr. Hayes was working with police and a few clues that they had in the hopes that they will find answers. Once his business on Byron Bay was cleared, though, Theo's father returned back to Belgium to the rest of his family. The people of Byron Bay made sure Theo would not be forgotten. Fourteen days after his father left for the second time, the locals held a beautiful ceremony for Theo. The event, like the night, aimed to ensure people to continue to be vigilant for any clues on Theo's whereabouts. The event was completely open to the public as well. Everyone gathered at sunset to bring awareness to Theo's disappearance. There was an indigenous fire ceremony alongside music and poetry, and everyone who came to the beachside vigil was asked to bring a candle. Monday, September 6, 2019. Three and a half months after Theo Hayes vanished, the case was officially referred to the New South Wales coroner bringing the official police search to an end. I mean, do they have any substantial theories or anything other than him trooping and falling? Well, Theo's cousin, Lisa, suggested that the Belgian backpacker could have been on drugs when he disappeared after tracing his unusual route to the beach. So this is where we're going to dive deeper into that timeline I told you about earlier because... There are some unsettling things that a group of searchers came across while searching for Theo using the path that he took. Theo was last seen leaving Cheeky Monkeys nightclub in New South Wales in the New South Wales tourist town of Byron Bay. 
Instead of returning to his accommodation at Wake Up Hostel, he opted for a strange path. Google timeline logs show Theo left the bar and walked away from the main street of town, turning down Johnson Street, turning from Johnson Street down Kingsley Street into a dark, quiet residential area. Theo then turned left onto Tennyson Street and followed the road up towards the bushland near the Youth Activity Center and Byron Bay Recreational Grounds. This path eventually ended up leading him through thick bushland, then to the beach. After scouring through the bushland, the group followed Theo's movements to the northern end of Tallow Beach at Cozy Corner. The data shows Theo climbed a steep hill through the dense bushland a few minutes before midnight. He then stopped for about five minutes in a spot hidden by vines before moving on. The group was perplexed by Theo's speed moving back down the hill because it was a very steep hill on the way back down to Cozy Corner and why he would have found himself hidden among the foliage here in the first place. Theo's cousin Lisa was among those in this group and even she agreed that his movement suggested he was on something as it was difficult to fathom how Theo would move so quickly through an area that he didn't know. Makes sense. There is the podcast, the one I've been talking about, The Lighthouse, that focuses solely on Theo's case. And in this podcast, Lisa states that when you're on MD or acid or anything, you just go and you don't think about what you're doing. Now, while Lisa's aware that Theo was not known to use drugs, his behavior seemed consistent with someone who was on drugs. So this led her to offer the hypothesis that someone must have put something in his drink. That's where my head was going to. Before reaching the beach, the group walked through the dense bushland at Arquan National Park. They then met up with a 62-year-old man, Tommy Volk, who occupies an illegal campsite in the park. Mr. Volk said he had not seen Theo on the evening he disappeared, but his father had come to visit. I guess when they were searching before. Yeah. The areas they're exploring here is basically like a jungle. The bushland. Fallen trees are everywhere. You have to duck your head all the time because you might poke your eye out, literally. You've got to be really careful when you walk around there. And according to locals, at night, you even need some sort of light to help guide you because the bushland gets so dangerously dark. I don't know. That's very interesting. Data then indicates that Theo veered around Mr. Volk's campsite, leading Byron resident Nicolette Reeves to believe the teenager was walking through the area with someone who knows it well. And that makes sense. After Theo made it through the bushland, he walked a worn path to the sand of the beach. There are remnants of another well-established illegal campsite at the sand dunes nearby. He left from here heading east away from the hostel through more residential streets before arriving at Milne Track which is an access track through the bushland to Tallow Beach. Okay, again, the bushland sounds like somewhere he would need a local to lead to guide him around because bushy land, overrun and overgrown and tough terrain and yeah. Yep. Interesting, very interesting. The group continued to retrace his footsteps and followed the Milne track before making a wayward turn to the north and battled through thick bushland at midnight, reaching the sand at Tallow. Then they continued to make their way north and battled through thick bushland before making it to the sandy shores of Tallow Beach, 
The searchers continued to make their way along the sand to Cozy Corner at the northern end of Tallow, beneath the cliff under the lighthouse, right where Theo was before his GPS signal shut off. As time passed, we have come to learn something very interesting as well. That night, Theo had searched how to get back to Wake Up Hostel during the evening and yet continued to move in the opposite direction. Yeah, I don't... I don't. Find, I find that very, very odd. I can't find a reason why he would be going away from where he wanted to be. Especially if he was looking it up, trying to search how to get there. Yeah, like somebody is leading him away. Somebody, obviously, that knows the bushland. This sounds to me like there's a piece of him that's taking directions from this person that he maybe ran into that's like, oh, this is the quick way to get back. The shortcut. We have a lot of those down here in South Georgia. Yeah, and so Theo's like, okay, cool. So maybe he follows along. Because, I mean, he's, he's right. had a drink or two, so right. he's a little little bendy. Mm-hmm. Little, his mind's a little little easily led right now. And, but the more he follows this person, he thinks, this, isn't, this doesn't look right. This doesn't mm-hmm. look like anything like the way I came. And maybe that's why he keeps checking Google Maps. Maybe. And he's just afraid to say something. Could be. It's got to be something like that. After all the searching, things just seemed to go quiet until January of 2020. Police reportedly began testing hairs found on a hat they believed to belong to Theo. Yes, the same hat from earlier. But they apparently only decided to test the hat hairs because they couldn't get any match with the cap itself. So, um, I'm surprised it's something that hasn't been done straight away, like right in the very beginning. Dig around that hat for some hairs. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so strange. Why didn't they do that then? That would have made a whole lot more sense. Yeah, it would. And there are a lot of little things such as that that I will never understand about this case. The hat and DNA test made their way finally back into the media site around May of 2020. A report by Belgian news agency Belga claimed that DNA testing of the cat found in the bush by the Cape Byron Lighthouse suggested it belonged to Theo. If true, this would further confirm that Theo's last movements were around Cozy Corner and the northern end of Tallow Beach near the lighthouse. The official police theory is still that he fell off one of the cliffs near the lighthouse and into the ocean, but the family still disputes this. In a statement posted to Facebook on Wednesday by the Hayes family, they said that they were outraged by the report that the Belga gave and the fact that this information published by Belga came from, quote, a good source close to the file is extremely shameful and demonstrates a complete disrespect for the family and the work of the Australian police and it is deeply disturbing, end quote. Gotta say I agree. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, yeah, I can't, there's no argument in that. Mm-mm. None. Like, why would you do that? Why, why, why would you, if you're that close to the investigation or the case or whatever... Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. There is no suggestion NSW police or any other official outlet in Australia leaked the test results. Belga reported the DNA results pointed to a family link. That same week, however, the Hayes family posted on Facebook that investigations were continuing and that they had received the results of the DNA test of two of the hairs on the cap, but they did not say what the results were. Jean Felipe Pector, J. 
JP, Theo's godfather, said the family has been left traumatized by Theo's disappearance. And Pector told the news outlet The Latest that it's a constant emotional and mental torture of not knowing with certainty what happened to Theo that night. He also added that the family has theories about what happened to Theo, saying, quote, Unfortunately, we believe that there may have been some foul play and he may have met some people after leaving the bar. It was Friday night in Byron Bay. It's really unlikely that nobody would have seen him or that he wouldn't have met anyone in town, end quote. After the police search was called off, Theo's case was handed over to the New South Wales or NSW coroner. While the police believe the teenager may have walked up to the lighthouse and fell off the cliff into the ocean, his family believes there's more to the story. They hope the ongoing intrigue into his disappearance will prompt people withholding crucial information to come forward. There is a continued plea to anyone who might be withholding information to come forward. A new website, lookingfortheo.com, that's looking, the number four, theo.com, has been set up for anyone who has information about Theo. Theo's godfather, J.P. Pector, told a news outlet that he always remembers a line that Miss O'Keefe said in a speech at light the night, and it's really stuck with him. Quote, everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, then it's not the end. End quote. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself, and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at If I Go Missing Podcast. Then we also have our Twitter, and that one is at Megan Noel pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel podcast. And we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is if I go missing a podcast.